Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for February 7th, 2018. Six game slate for Wednesday. I don't I don't know when this flipped, but all of a sudden Wednesday became small slates and Tuesdays are bigger slates now. So that's something new for the next couple weeks. I haven't looked ahead to the basketball schedule enough to see if that's just how the rest of the season goes. But uh, I don't know. It's a weird switch. So six games right now, not really a lot of value, but there is some notable injuries. The first game on the slate is the Brooklyn Nets, the Detroit Pistons. From that side of the game, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is questionable. Karis LeVert is questionable. I'm going to assume that he's not going to play. He's in the concussion protocol. He got destroyed by Nene on a screen tonight. He was bleeding all over the floor. So I think it's probably pretty safe to say that he isn't going to play. Quincy Acey is questionable. So the pricing here, uh, also D'Angelo Russell, this is the tail end of a back-to-back. How many minutes did he play tonight? Russell played, uh, and then also Russell played the Nets' last back-to-back. Is that right, Matt? Do you remember? Yeah, I think he did, but on a minutes restriction. So I'm, I'm not sure. He might be, he might be approaching a yeah, point so where he, it's lifted, but maybe not quite yet. He played 16 minutes on the tail end of the last back-to-back. He played 19 minutes tonight, so I'll assume that he's probably going to be around 20 or something tomorrow. He's going to be a really good play in a couple of weeks when he's like 5,400, and we're going to expect him to play over 30 minutes, but we're not there quite yet. So D'Angelo Russell, still a fade, kind of regardless of what the Nets' other injury situations are. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie could potentially have to play more minutes. If Karis LeVert is out and D'Angelo Russell is going to be restricted, then we probably see a lot of Spencer Dinwiddie, which could make him an okay play. Uh, beyond that, maybe Jared Allen is an okay play if Hollis Jefferson and Quincy Acey are out, because Allen ended up playing... What did he play tonight? He played... Never mind, he only played 23 minutes against the Rockets, so maybe not. I thought that he could be in line for a lot of minutes. Uh, not really a great situation for the Nets. I think there's a good amount of blowout risk here playing in Detroit. Detroit just looked really good since they got Blake Griffin. So I think that Andre Drummond is a good upside play. So is Blake Griffin. The minutes have still been there for Stanley Johnson, so he's a good play at 4,700. Uh, there's just a lot of blowout risk here, so that would, uh, that would prevent me from having too much exposure here, especially because it's not really particularly stackable to maybe create leverage and upside in a potential blowout. Well, I think there actually is some sharp money on the Nets for some reason. I guess maybe because Rondé Hollis-Jefferson might play. The line's already dropped from 9.5 to 9, and I think we're always surprised by how how good the Nets have been, at least in keeping games close enough where starters stay in. They only lost by 10 to the Rockets. They've actually won some road games against decent teams, and even though the Pistons are better with Blake Griffin, it's not like they're some unbelievable team now. They're, they're certainly above average, but I don't, I don't even know if they're that much above average. So I think this game could stay close, and... Given how strong the value is on guys like Drummond and Griffin if the game is close, I mean, I think there's a ton of upside for both of them if it's a close game. I think I would make game stacks here. And then there's the other part of this, which you've mentioned, is that the Pistons are playing faster with Griffin. Um, it's a but lot who more... Would you use, who would you use from the Nets that you All would right. like outside well, of like Dinwiddie, maybe? Okay, so I would use Dinwiddie. I think it would be contingent on the injuries. Um, so if Levert and Hollis Jefferson both played, then that would make it hard, but... If we just assume that Levert's out and Hollis Jefferson's in, then it does make it tough because Hollis Jefferson could have a restriction. But I would definitely use him if he has no restriction. I would use Dinwiddie. I would use maybe Alan Crabb or Jared Allen. Um, It wouldn't be too many Nets guys, but I would want to have exposure to one or two Nets guys and then have Drummond, Griffin, 
um, maybe Ish Smith. I think he's kind of just fair price, but it would be mostly just getting one or two Nets guys in there with uh, Drummond and Blake Griffin. Yeah, and then also, I mean, yeah, I think Hobbs Jefferson would be a decent play if he starts and doesn't have a minutes restriction. I think something else that could really throw the Nets off is I think that there's a non-zero chance that Hollis Jefferson plays and is on like a 25 minutes restriction. Yeah, that would make the game harder to stack. I think that would be the scenario where I'm less inclined to stack it. So if Levert's out and then like AC's in and Hollis Jefferson is restricted, then I maybe won't go this route. But if Hollis Jefferson is either out or playing in full, then I would feel pretty good about a game stack because I think it'll be pretty low owned, especially from the Nets side. And I think there is a lot of upside there. All right, next game is the Houston Rockets at the Miami Heat. I don't really like this spot for the Rockets very much. The Heat play a slow pace. They're a good defensive team. Also, the tail end of a road back-to-back for the Rockets, and everybody's priced up. Still 11300 for Harden, 9400 for Paul. There's nobody I really see here that I think is a particularly good value or a good play. From the Heat side of the game, I would assume that Whiteside has gotten expensive. Yeah, he's up to 7,700. Drogic at 7,100 is probably going to be guarded by Chris Pulse. That would keep me off him. The injury news here to look for is Kelly Olynyk and Justice Winslow are both questionable to play. If they're both out, then I think James Johnson becomes a really strong play at 5,100. And I guess that would create enough minutes for Hassan Whiteside that I would be willing to play him at 7,700. Yeah, so I'm with you on the Rockets side. I don't think they're really usable in this matchup. Um, and Olenek being out would probably be worse for the Rockets because Olenek is more of an offense-oriented player, uh, court spacer, and if they're playing more minutes for Bam or more for Whiteside, then that doesn't help the Rockets at all. Um, but I, I really like the spot for the Heat just in general as a team. I agree with you on Drogic. I think it's hard to use him in the matchup against Chris Paul. He is kind of cheap, though, so... I don't know. It, it is a tough one, at, even at 7,100. I think Chris Paul's just too good defensively. I wouldn't really want to go there. But someone like Wayne Ellington, if uh, Winslow's out, is down to 4,300 now. He's been playing big minutes and um, maybe Whiteside. But I think it's just a good spot to at least get some heat exposure. And then, yeah, James Johnson and I think Tyler Johnson also, so both of the Johnsons. I think um, I think those would be two of the guys that I would use along with possibly Wayne Ellington and then maybe even Whiteside. It's not really a game stack, but I would want to have one or maybe even two Miami guys in most lineups. Yeah, uh, there, I mean, there just isn't a lot of potential value on this slate. Or I wouldn't say that, because I guess there could be other guys who see world out. But if there isn't a lot of value and there is heat value, th- th- I was just going to make a really stupid point. I was going to say if all the value is on the heat and nowhere else, then it's worth rostering. But <laughs> yes, that's obvious. So there's potential value on the Heat, I'll say that. Yeah, let me just, um, I'll mention the Vegas odds here too before we move on. The Heat are getting basically no bets from the public so far, but they've already dropped from plus five to plus four and a half. And the total's gone up half a point from 210 and a half to 211. I think a lot of that has to do with the Rockets being on the second half of a road back-to-back. So it's it's a pace-up matchup for Miami, and then also they're getting this extra advantage from the back-to-back. So th- that's that's most of the reason that I like them. And then the injuries could open up some more value, too. All right, uh, next game here. Minnesota Timberwolves playing in Cleveland. I think it is so ridiculous that Minnesota's only favored by two and a half points in this game. Well, the last time that the Wolves played the Cavs, 
Uh, it was a blowout for Minnesota at home, and they were one-point favorites. And I, this was the one that I've referenced before uh, since then, where I had thought that there was actually blowout risk, that Minnesota could blow out the Cavs at home, and I just didn't really mention it enough. I don't know if I feel as strongly about a blowout here because the game is in Cleveland, but the, the line opened at Pickham. So this is the second night in a row that you, uh, you're looking at Vegas lines and saying that they're off and you're, you're thinking aligns with the sharp money because the game opened at Pickham and has already moved two and a half points in Minnesota's favor. Um, it, it, it's, we, it's weird to me that there's a public bias like in both ways towards the Cavs, where if you go on like Twitter and everything, everybody's just making fun of the Cavs for sucking right now. But I still think that there's this idea that they're just due for a comeback. They <laughs> might just be an average team. And I think there's a non-zero chance that they don't even make the playoffs. I don't know. I feel like that could be a little bias on your part, just seeing them recently. Like, this isn't an against-the-public move towards Minnesota like we have at Philly last night. This is this is public-driven. It might be some sharp money also. But I think the line just maybe opened a little low. Like, I don't think that the public is on the Cavs here and the line's moving instead. So far, the betting does favor the Wolves in terms of the percentage of the bet tickets. So maybe the line is inflated towards the Minnesota side. I'm not comfortable saying that the, that there's value on the Wolves at minus 2.5. Uh, I get what you're saying because the Cavs have just been so bad. But I guess we can get into the specific players because I, th- I think that there is... There is a lot of reason to like Cleveland in this spot because it's a home game and they might be low-owned because of how bad they've been. And it's not like Minnesota is a really good defensive team. So there, there is some reason to like Cleveland here. One quick thing before we go, though. Cleveland is currently four games up on the ninth seed in the East. What do you think would be the chances that the basically the Pistons, the Sixers, and the Heat would all pass the Cavs in the standings? I'll like, I, can make, I can make a case that all those teams are better than Cleveland. Uh, well, I guess it's hard to say in a vacuum because the Cavs probably will make a trade at some point to get a little bit better. And I, I don't know if those, any of those teams... I think the Pistons might be better than the Cavs, at least for now. But Cleveland's also going to get Kevin Love back at some point. I'll say 5%. I think the Sixers are better than them. Yeah, I think that they probably are. I'll say 5% chance the Cavs miss the playoffs because they, they do have a four-game lead. That's not that's not insignificant. That's a pretty sizable lead for anyone to overcome. I, I think that if you were to say, though, that going into the All-Star break, the Cavs have a 5% chance of not making the playoffs before the season started, that's that's like an overwhelmingly disappointing season. Yeah, no one would have bet the Cavs at 20-1 to 1 to miss the playoffs this year. Like most people would have said 0.001% chance the Cavs miss the playoffs. And uh, while I'm looking at the Vegas lines, by the way, the over-under in the Nets-Pistons game just jumped by a point. So uh, I think this is another example of uh, Sharp Money is listening to our podcast, even though it's not even being broadcast yet. And I think that they're using our information to move the lines. Do you think that's possible? 100%. They're always listening. To yeah. Everybody's listening. 100% chance. Yeah, we're getting hacked on our podcast. Oh, well, at least it's helping people bet. Uh, so anyway, from the Minnesota side of the game, they're probably a little bit too expensive to use too many of these players together. But individually, Jimmy Butler is a good play. Carl Anthony Towns is a good play. I don't really like Teague or Wiggins independently, except they do correlate really well. So I think you could use them together as a correlation combination. But it's still with kind of like the asterisk that both of them are playing really poorly right now. And obviously because they're correlated, there's something to that. But 
I, I do think that they're making more of a conscious effort to get the ball to Carl Anthony Towns more because he had a ridiculous stretch where he had like six games in a row with the usage rating like under 20%. And it's just really clear that they, he needs to get more touches on offense. There can't be a situation where Andrew Wiggins is just getting more shots up than Carl Anthony Towns every single game where that's going to help the team win games over the course of the season. So I'll say that maybe one or two lineups, I would put Teague and Wiggins in together with maybe like LeBron or something on the other side. Because uh, from the Cavs side of the game, I think uh, LeBron now is priced down to 10900 I think that makes him a little bit more playable. And then I think Isaiah Thomas at 6000 he's been just so bad this year. But he's getting minutes. He's taking shots. He's not going to keep shooting. Let's see, what is he shooting from the field? He's shooting 35% from the field and scoring 25 fantasy points per game. If his sh- and also the the minutes are higher now than the, than what they were. If he shoots even 40%, he shot 46% from the field last year. If he shoots 40% from the field in 30 minutes per game, he's going to average close to 35 fantasy points per game. I think there's value on him at 6000. He's just been really shitty lately, but that's because all the Cavs have been shitty. Yeah, Isaiah Thomas also was off to a pretty good game uh, against the Magic on Tuesday, and then the game turned into a blowout, so he didn't play that much late. I think he would have had a much bigger fantasy game than, I think it was 26 points that he finished with, and maybe he gets to the low 30s or mid-30s if the game stays close. It's just crazy the Cavs were up 15 or so points, and lost by 18 to Orlando when they were up 15. I think, I think they were up over 21 point. Yeah, I think it was 20 or so in the second quarter. They were up 16 at the half and then lost by 18. Uh, Isaiah Thomas still played 30 minutes, but he probably was going to play a little bit more than that if the game stayed close. So I'm, I'm with you on him. I think using LeBron is actually a really strong play, and I'll kind of look to the Vegas line for some insight here because it's kind of hard to figure out I don't know what to make of the Cavs from a motivational standpoint, how a, how a back-to-back might affect them. LeBron did only play 33 minutes tonight because of the blowout, like we said. So he may not be as tired as he usually would be after a first night of a back-to-back. And I don't know, you never know if LeBron is like looking for something extra to prove. But I think it still is at least true that with Kevin Love out, he should have to rebound more. Uh, it is a home game. And if the public is really against the Cavs still, then... And if that's still true tomorrow, then I think that, that would be some indication that LeBron could be kind of low-owned. And there are some high-end guys to pay up for. The Rockets are playing. So I do like LeBron. I'm not sure quite how much he had. Definitely like Isaiah Thomas. And then if you're using those guys, then it does make sense to have some Minnesota players too. And it is just a great matchup for Minnesota against the Cavs, who are like the worst defense of all time. Um, so maybe I'm looking at it a little bit differently from you, where I'm starting with the Cavs side and then mixing in some Wolves, because I might like the Cavs side a little bit more. But I think we're sort of on the same page here. This is a strong game to stack. should be a high-scoring game, and I think it should be a reasonably close game. But I'll I'll give another Vegas line update since we started recording. This is just ridiculous how I I think people might just be listening to you. The the Wolves just went from minus 2.5 to minus 3.5 in like the last minute. So I, I don't know what you're doing to the lines, Greg, but something's going on. Uh, maybe, um, I guess, am I, because I'm planning on betting it, is that, is that what it is? They're just getting ready to move it? <laughs> yeah, are, are you, are you just placing bets over there? Is that what's going on? Or have you made a bunch of bets while we're doing the podcast and that's what's moved the lines? Uh, no, I'm watching Tyler Ulis make floaters in the lane. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, just as productive. 
So next game, actually, I think that this is probably the most stackable game on the slate. The Indiana Pacers at the New Orleans Hornets. Victor Oladipo is questionable to play with an illness. I'm assuming as of now that he's going to play because it seemed like he had a decent chance to play last game before getting ruled out kind of late. And that was two days ago that he was sick, so he should be healthier now. Darren Collison is out for the next two to three weeks after arthroscopic knee surgery. Victor Oladipo scores three more fantasy points for 36 minutes with Collison off the floor and 4% usage bump. He has a 34% usage rating without Collison. Huge role in the offense for him. So I think that Oladipo D600 is a good play. Miles Turner, I know we've been on him a lot of times this year, and he's been bad in almost all of them. He's priced all the way down to 5600 This is the first time in forever that he isn't listed as questionable, so that's a little promising. He was very bad last game, except I do think it was a little bit of a fluke because that's the worst game I've ever seen Miles Turner play. I've watched Miles Turner play a decent amount. I think he's really talented, and he just totally shifted that last game. He uh, got in early foul trouble against the Wizards and was not making any – I mean, he only took five shots, but the first two shots he took were wide-open jump shots that he airballed, and I definitely think that discouraged him. And then he got into foul trouble, and that really limited his aggression. So I think with his price all the way down at what it's at his floor, I think Old Depot and Turner is a really good pairing. From the New Orleans side of the game, we have Anthony Davis at 11600 I think that he's good to pay up for. We have Nikola Mirotic is at 6500 He was chalky to a point that I couldn't believe last time that they, uh, when they played against the Jazz. Like, I thought Mirotic was a decent play against the Jazz, but not to be owned in between 50 and 60% in GPPs. Like, I was floored by his ownership. I had him around 25% a couple nights ago. And I thought, like, this is a decent amount of Miritich. And then I saw what his ownership was by the field. And I just, it was ridiculous how highly owned he was. I think because he was so bad in that spot that people might be off him here. But the Pacers are such an easier matchup than playing against the Jazz. So I think that pairing Anthony Davis with Nikola Miritich with something like Miles Turner and Victor Oladipo on the other side is a really good game stack. Yeah, I think it sort of is. I'm a little worried about the matchup for Miles Turner because Anthony Davis is someone who can definitely get you into foul trouble. But there's there's a lot of upside for Turner anyway. This is as cheap as he's been, and he's coming off a really bad game, like you said, the worst game ever. So he's going to be low-owned probably. Um, I guess I'll also mention if Victor Oladipo doesn't play, then even slightly priced-up guys like Corey Joseph and Lance Stevenson would still be really strong plays. But if Oladipo plays, we can ignore that. Uh I'm not off those guys if he's out, though. So do you think that's worth talking about more, or are you, you, you are really confident that he'll be in the lineup? I wouldn't say I'm really confident, but I'm just making the assumption as of now, and then I'll pivot off that if something changes tomorrow. Right. Well, if Oladipo is out, then I like Miles Turner even more than we already like him. And then Joseph and Stevenson are the obvious guys. I'd use more Thaddeus Young. I'm not sure if, I, if Thaddeus Young is really in play. And he's probably someone that would make sense to put into game stacks. I don't think he's that great of a play individually. Um, but with, with DeMarcus Cousins out, the Pelicans are always really stackable because Davis is their only expensive player. Miritich at 6,500 is like semi-expensive, but I don't think it's a problem to fit him in either. Uh, if I had to say who my favorite expensive player is, though, between Davis and LeBron, I think I still lean LeBron. 
Um, but it, it would make sense to have stacks of both of these games and then just have a lot of, expo- lot of exposure to both of the games in general too. And I, I certainly agree with you on Miritich. I think he could be pretty low-owned because his price has gone up a little, and I think a lot of people might just be off him because they are disappointed in his performance where he had seven fantasy points against the Jazz. And yeah, this is a much much easier matchup than facing Utah. All right, next game on the slate, Utah at Memphis. Uh, this game is going to be a fade for me. Yeah, this is, is this is a really bad not game. A, not a very appealing fantasy game. No, this game, it actually has a 202 total, which is, it does seem a little bit high. Um, I'm just it's scanning. <laughs> yeah, I'm just scanning these players to see if there's anyone who could potentially be usable. Andrew Harrison priced at 5,000. is That's a really high number for him. Um... Yeah, let's just move on. This uh, this game has some fair pricing and then some just really bad pricing, so there's nothing really to talk about. All right, Spurs at Phoenix. So from the Spurs side of the game, they're also getting Phoenix on the tail end of a back-to-back. I think that LaMarcus Aldridge is a fine target in like kind of the upper mid-tier. Nobody else really stands out to me as a decent play from the Spurs. And then from the Sun side of the game, it's hard to say, really, because we don't know the status of Devin Booker for tomorrow, if he's going to play or not. Um, if he's in, then I think the whole situation is probably a fade. If he's out, it's still probably a fade, but maybe TJ Warren would be worth using. But it, it's really hard to get too excited about using any Suns players against the Spurs on the talent of a back-to-back. Well, I think Booker is listed as doubtful, so I think... We should assume that he'll be out. Um, I would probably still use Tyler Ulis at 4,400. There, there, there are better value plays, but I think he'd be an okay play still. Um, it is a hard matchup. The one thing that is interesting for this game, though, is that it's a back-to-back for Tyson Chandler, and Tyson Chandler doesn't play on back-to-backs. But now that Greg Monroe's gone, maybe that changes. Uh, I would actually, you know what? I, I kind of forgot about that angle. I think that he sits. And I think that they start Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender in the front court. And Marquise Chris is probably an interesting GPP play that has upside that shouldn't have any ownership because he's not good. But the way he plays basketball, there is, like, I don't really think that a matchup against the Spurs makes so he can't have a good game because any good game he has is going to be contingent on him getting, like, steals and blocks and rebounds. He's not going to score a lot of points. And he's kind of cheap anyway. So he, he's not like somebody who I'd consider to be a matchup-dependent player. Yeah, I don't think he is either. And I think he will be low-owned. Uh, maybe not that low-owned if he's the starter. But the guy I was more interested in, I think, is Alex Len at 4,200. I think he could get 25-plus minutes. And there is some blowout risk here because the Suns are just really bad. There'd be even more blowout risk if Devin Booker doesn't play, which I think is likely. So Alex Len could be playing a lot of fourth quarter minutes against Spurs backups, which is kind of an easier matchup. So I think there's a lot of upside for Len for garbage time, and I think he would have to play a decent amount of minutes anyway if Chandler's out. And then I think you could kind of make the same case for Troy Daniels again if Booker doesn't play. So I think Chris would be a guy to use in the same lineup as Aldridge if you think the game stays kind of close, and maybe use TJ Warren for a mini stack there. But I think you could also play for garbage time and then use... Uh, Len and Troy Daniels as a combination because I would assume that they both play down the stretch of a blowout. Yeah, I think something else I'm kind of be interested to see is just how the Suns' minutes end up shaking up by the time this game is over because this is 
the first game we've seen them without Cannon, without Devin Booker. So if Devin Booker is out again, I'll really lean on what the workloads look like for tonight's game to predict the guard rotation for tomorrow night. Yeah, just to clarify that, uh, we're recording at halftime of the Suns-Lakers game, so for people who are confused by that, that's why we don't know the exact Suns minutes situation. We haven't seen the whole game yet. But it does look like Tyler Eulis is going to play a lot. Marquise Chris is playing a lot off the bench. I think he would certainly have to play a lot if Tyson Chandler's out. So uh, we can sort of guess that for now. Alex Len has played some minutes too. So I, th- I think that all He's of those... four minutes. How many minutes? Four. Oh, wow. I guess I was only paying attention for those four minutes. Well, anyway, I think it does still make sense that if Chandler's out, Len has to play a lot. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll have, I guess, an update once we know the final situation for this game. Yeah, I think it would probably either be a Marquise Chris Dragonbender frontcourt or maybe Alex Len Dragonbender. I just assume Bender's going to start because he started over Chris tonight. So it would probably be either Len or Chris that enters starting lineup. And either one of those guys I think would be a good play. Actually, Len would be the higher upside play if he starts, but we'll have to wait and see what that situation is tomorrow. Let's uh, also let's also just clarify that we have zero interest again in Dragon Bender who's now up to 4400 and would be playing against Spurs starters and is just a really bad player who might end up having a solid fantasy game against the Lakers, but there's no situation where I would use him against the Spurs at, even as a starter at 4400. I, I think he's a pretty bad play that could be pretty chalky because of the high ownership on Tuesday, and he's actually playing well Tuesday night. Yeah, and it's not even that well. I mean, he has five points and four rebounds at halftime. It's a huge uh, but game. overall, as a starter this year, he's averaging 19 minutes per game and scoring 15 DraftKings points. So there isn't really a ton of upside there. Like, even if he has a really good game, it probably chances are he's getting into 20 points range. Not anything crazy. So I think that he'll probably be a pretty easy fade tomorrow. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, GIronbergDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at Preaching Sense, and we'll be back for Thursday's slate.